pondering the past, exploring the future, working together for a brighter tomorrow. A Radiation Research Society podcast. Hi, I'm John Early with the Radiation Research Society podcast, and today I'm talking to Walter. Walter, could you introduce yourself? Hello, here is Walter Tinganelli. I'm from Napoli, Naples in the south of Italy. And uh, after my master science in the south of Italy, I moved uh, in different countries. I've been in Germany, then I've been in Japan. Now I'm back in Italy and soon I will move again in Germany. Uh, I'm a radiobiologist. I mean, I started as biotechnologist, but then after that I did my PhD and uh, my postdocs in radiobiology. So I would say that today I'm kind of radiobiologist. And uh, I'm very happy to be here in the Radiation Research Society because I think it's a very nice and international conference where you can learn a lot and you can uh, meet a lot of very interesting people. Thank you to invite me and to give me this opportunity today. Oh, we're happy to have you and talk about your science. Man, you've been all over the world. Has that, has that affected the way you approach science? Well, yes. I think in science it's uh, very important to, I mean, if you want to do research, it's very important to move, to meet uh, new, uh, new, new, new culture, you know, to, to work in new labs. So for me, it was very important to have the, the opportunity to meet new colleagues in Germany, in Japan. I had a colleague from the United States. And of course, this make, gave me a, a great opportunity. First of all, it gave me the opportunity to improve my English because, as you can hear, I mean, it's not the best one. No, you sound but, great. But what is this, your third language, fourth? Uh, well, Italian is my mother tongue. Then I can speak Spanish, but for Italian, this is very easy. It's not so, it's not so complicated. I speak a bit of German. I mean, I try to. Uh, learn German. Did you pick up any Japanese while you were over there? Just uh, hello, uh, to beer, please. <laughs> this is my name. What's your name? Not more than this. Yeah. Okay, just enough to get by. Yeah, let's say just enough to get to beer. <laughs> That's always important. So you said you're a radiobiologist. Right. What are you currently working on in your science? Well, uh, I'm not concentrated just in one kind of work. I'm actually working in different, uh, different topic. I would say the most important one are radioimmunotherapy, that is the possibility using radiation to induce an immune response inside the host uh, of, uh, of a cancer. So you can simply, well, simply, it's not very simply. Uh, using radiation, you can, uh, you can irradiate a certain tumor inside the patients, and then you can uh, give the possibility, it's a kind of vaccine, you give the possibility to the immune system to recognize the tumor and recognize also metastases that are out of the radiation field. This is, let's say, the first, I would say, um, important and interesting topic. The second one that I would say is a bit like, a, it sounds like a science fiction, but it is not, is the hibernation. Hibernation, we are studying hibernation because it seems that at least in natural hibernators, animals that can go in hibernation uh, naturally, uh, there is an increase of radio resistance. Of course, we are in radiation research society, and this is very important. And um, yeah. so, so when, you, when talking about hibernation, right. are, are you talking about space travel? Are you talking about just cancer treatment on Earth? What is your application for using hibernation as right. a radio resistor? Right. 
well, yeah, if we are speaking about hibernation, of course, we have to find the reason, uh, the reason why we want to, we want to understand this mechanism. Uh, the idea actually, it starts because uh, uh, one, one of, uh, one of uh, our colleagues, my colleagues, Matteo Cerri, that is actually the person that uh, is an expert, an absolutely expert in uh, hibernation. He invented a kind of uh, synthetic hibernation in animals that cannot go in hibernation naturally. Interesting. Right. So since he developed this method, now it becomes very interesting to study hibernation for uh, many reasons. Let's say the most important one are space travel and medicine. Um, why for space travel? I mean, the point is during uh, for for the space travel. I mean, astronauts they have to stay for very long time in a very small space, and then, for example, hibernation can help them to uh, being in a kind of uh, sleeping state. It's not a sleeping state, but staying in this uh, unconscious state, they can travel for very long distance without having psychological problem due to the things to live in a, a very small in a very small space but hibernation can do also a lot of other things i mean hibernation for example reduce the if you know that astronauts when they are when they are in space they have a lot of problem with weak muscle because they lost the strength of the muscle because of the absence of gravity and uh, they lose also calcium from the bones. So uh, in the hibernators, you do not have this problem. Really? So yeah, if you could put an astronaut in hibernation, probably you will not have the problem of uh, weak muscle or loss of uh, calcium from the bones. And this is another important factor for them. Uh, another important factor could be, for example, that astronauts in hibernation would not need to eat, would not need to drink, they would not need uh, energy and then you can save a lot of money because in space of course to move to 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 bring some food on the on the on the space shuttle for example it costs uh, a lot of uh, a lot of money yeah you, uh, you're reducing the energy consumption absolutely absolutely and uh, moreover i mean uh, an astronauts for example in hibernation this is the most interesting interesting things uh, thing for us is that it seems that in hibernation an astronaut can increase his radio resistance. I mean, one of the problems that now we have in the space mission is the, the effect of radiation, because astronauts are subjected to cosmic radiation, and then they are looking for solution uh, how, to, um, how to shield the space, uh, the space shuttle with uh, with some particular material, or how to select astronauts that are somehow more radio resistant. So hibernation could be a new way, as I said in the beginning, kind of new scientific fiction way, but actually now not any more scientific fiction, something real, to prevent this uh, this uh, problem of. Uh, uh, damage produced by radiation in, uh, in the space. Interesting. And this, yeah. Have you been able to uh, pin down or do you have any leads about what causes the body to become more radio resistant when it enters a hibernative state? Well, it's not clear yet. It's not clear yet. What, uh, let's say, our hypothesis is that during hibernation you have a lot of physiological changes. One of these is the decrease of the respiration breath. 
Decreasing the respiration breath, probably what happens is that you have an increase of the hypoxia inside tissue. And we know, this is absolutely sure, there are many studies on this, that the hypoxia increase the radio resistance. For example, one problem that we have in tumor, uh, in tumor treatment, is that tumor, most of the time, they are in hypoxic condition because tumor cells grow without any, any structure, let's say. And then at some point you have a tumor that in some region can have very high hypoxic region. Well, this hypoxic region are very, very dangerous because they are very resistant. You have what is called an oxygen enhancement ratio. So you have really a factor of increasing radio resistance that is very, very important when you, when you treat a patient. And um, inside this hypoxic region, for example, you have also what are called the cancer stem cells that seems are the very important cells in doing metastasis and the recurrency of tumor. So let's say uh, we know that hypoxia can, uh, can be uh, a problem to treat cancer, but in this case, if we could really increase the hypoxia inside the healthy tissue, probably we can have a kind of uh, general radio resistance inside the body. I mean, this can be, this is an hypothesis, of course, but now we are doing some study to try to understand how really uh, this method uh, works. Is there a certain type of tissue or cells that you're looking at? Is this skin matter? Is this organs? Um, where you're seeing this hypoxia in the hibernation state, uh, it, it, or is it just uniformly everywhere? Well, as I said, I'm not sure that hypoxia is the reason why we have this increase in radio resistance. Oh, okay. but, but what we can see, it seems that, uh, at least for natural hibernators, um, the hibernation make an increase of radio resistance in every tissue. So every tissue become really more uh, radio resistant. Well, actually, this, this is another point. We even don't know if there is really an increase of radio resistance or the animal in hibernation is, let's say, more able to repair the DNA damage. So we still don't know uh, which of the two mechanisms. I mean, is a, a real increase of radio resistance or the animal become more uh, radio resistant because it's able, it's more able to repair its own damage. Interesting. So yes, it, yes. it's either uh, the defense is higher right. or the healing's higher. Exactly. And it, it's trying to figure out what hibernation creates that allows it to become more effective. Absolutely. 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 It's also, if I, if, I can, if I can add something, because in the beginning you asked me uh, how can we use hibernation? We can use it for space, and, uh, and as I say, we can use also for medicine. For medicine, for example, would be very important. The, the, the most, let's say, the most natural use of hibernation in, uh, in medical application, of course, are ischemia and heart attack, because during ischemia and heart attack, tissue are not oxygenated and you have also uh, nutrient deprivation. And then in this case, tissue start to be damaged. With the uh, hibernation or hypothermia, we can save this, uh, this tissue. But the most important thing for us, and, uh, and this is what actually I like most, is that with hibernation, probably one day we could be even able to treat cancer in a better way. Why? Um, first of all, if really hypoxia is the reason why we have an increase of radio resistance, what happened? As I told you before, most of the time tumor, 
they are already in hypoxia. So tumors are more radioresistant because of that. So when you treat a tumor, of course you will have also a little bit of uh, um, radiation dose that will, uh, that will target also the healthy tissue around the tumor. The problem is, of course, that we have, we have to spare as much as possible the healthy tissue around the tumor, and we have to kill the tumor cells. If hypoxia is the real mechanism that increases the radioresistance of a tumor, then we could bring a patient in hypoxia. After that, uh, sorry, bring a patient in a, in a hibernation. Because of the hibernation, his own body will be more hypoxic and then more radioresistant, while his tumor, since he's already in hypoxic condition, will be not influenced so much uh, about the hypoxia induced by hibernation. And then we can reduce the difference between the radioresistance of the hypoxic tumor and the radioresistance of the healthy tissue in hypoxia. And then we could increase the dose that we release inside, inside the tumor. This can be, let's say, one of the, one of the, one of the solutions. But there are also other important uh, changes in hibernation, at least in natural hibernators. During hibernation, it happens something very, very fancy, I would say. So the lymphocyte that usually they circulating inside blood vessel, uh, they um, they just migrate inside the lymph nodes. They migrate inside the lymph node and they stay there. So during irradiation, during treatment planning of uh, during tre um, treatment of uh, patients during irradiation, there is always a drop of lymphocyte due to the things that lymphocyte are circulating inside the irradiation field uh, that we are using to treat, uh, to treat cancer. If we found that even in synthetic hibernation, we have the migration of lymphocytes inside the lymph nodes, we could do a special treatment plan that avoid to irradiate the lymph nodes. And then we can avoid this drop in the lymphocyte circulating. And then this could, could be very helpful, for example, to stimulate, to help in the stimulation of uh, an immune response. And then we go back to the first, um, to the first uh, topic that I'm studying, that is this one about the radioimmunotherapy. So I think there are many different opportunities for hibernation. Yeah. With the hope with the hibernation research, is the hope to create a mechanism that can be used to duplicate hibernation-like effects on the lymph nodes. So you take a pill, your lymph nodes think they're in hibernation, they go into hibernation, but you're still awake? Or is it to induce an entire state of hibernation to, right. uh, like, is, or has this even been discussed? Yeah, no, actually the idea is to have the complete, let's say the complete uh, physiological change that we have in natural hibernation. This actually is what we are, looking for. The point is that at the moment we are not able to do this with a pill. That, that, that's the point. So this will be, let's say, the, the, the very important and the, the, the very difficult step to reach hibernation in, um, for human, let's say. Yeah. Um, as a radiobiologist in your yes. background, um, this, I'm hearing a lot of really connected things to your hibernation work and the work you've come from. Do you uh, feel that your work in the past has really informed where you're at and helped you to really develop a good starting point on this work? 
Well, yes. Um, or are you in completely new science land and it's like, whoa. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, I, I, I think that everything that we have done before, everything that, every experience that actually we have done somehow can help us in, uh, in developing new, new, uh, new technologies, new, new methods and so on. In this case, hibernation, as you say, is absolutely something new. It's exploring a, a new technology, a new, uh, new, new biological mechanisms that could be very interesting for humans. But of course, what I've done before, for example, I did a lot of study about the tumor hypoxia. And doing this study about tumor hypoxia, now I get to the point, okay, probably the mechanism why we have this uh, increasing radio resistance during hibernation is because of the hypoxia. I mean, I think what we have done before is absolutely useful for, for, um, for what we, uh, we want to do, I mean, what, uh, what I'm going to do right now. Shifting gears, um, as a radiobiologist, you also do some work in immunotherapy, correct? Right. So what's going on in that portion of your work right now? Well, right now I'm working, um, I'm, uh, as I said, I'm working in hibernation, uh, but I'm also working in the radioimmunotherapy that, uh, as I said before, is the, uh, the possibility uh, to use radiation to have a kind of vaccine against uh, the tumor of the, of the host. In principle, it works more or less like this. Imagine that um, tumor grow, uh, you have tumor cells that are growing, and then at some point these cells become invisible to the immune system. They become invisible to the immune system so they can uh, escape. We are in the phase that we call uh, escape. So the cells can move through the blood vessel, through the uh, lymphatic vessel, go in another part of the body and start what uh, we call metastasis. And then at this point, let's say, uh, it's more difficult to cure a patient because of course, you have to treat not only one tumor, but you have to cure the tumor of patients, also metastasis of the patients that can be localized everywhere in the body. With the radiomonotherapy, what we do, we give radiation inside the tumor, and then let's say, let, let, let's do this example. Imagine that every cell has a kind of ID card on the, on the surface. Okay, is it an ID card? And then you have policemen that circulating around the body. Like the white cells. The white cells, right, exactly. They, they look at this, uh, at this ID card and they say, okay, you are self or you are not self. So you are from this body or you are from outside. If you are from outside, I have to eliminate you because you cannot stay here. If you are from the body, you can stay. So when the tumor is in the, in the, in the escape phase, in principle, the tumor cells are invisible to this, uh, this policeman, let's say. So the policemen arrive, check for the ID card, and they do not find any particular uh, problem in that. Yeah. What we do with radiation, we give an idos of radiation inside the tumor cells, and we completely change their ID card. So we destroy, let's say, the previous ID card, and we create a new ID card that, let's say, under more um, in the biological point of view, it's like... Do, do you destroy the ID card or do you mark the target? You so modify the, the ID card. You, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you so modify the ID card. Okay, so the immune system can now target right. the cancer because it has seen it that this is, no, this is foreign body. Now. Right, right. Okay. Actually, there are some, let's say, very important molecules that play an important role in this. 
I'd say the most important one are the carreticulin, uh, HMGB1. They are the all important molecules that can activate any immuno, any immuno response. So what happened at that point? Radiation, we have this uh, production of some particular molecule that can be uh, that are important for the immune system. So now the immune system is able to see uh, the tumor, is able to recognize that this is kind of our enemy. And then, and then now what happened? The dendritic cells take information from the tumor, move to the lymph nodes, then produce activation of uh, other uh, white cells that then can go back to the tumor and then can target the tumor to destroy all the tumor cells. The, the nice thing is that this process now produce some white cells that are able to, uh, to, to, to target the tumor cells in situ where we did the radiation, but they are, are able to recognize also metastases that are very far from the primary tumor. So in the end, what happened? If you, even if you have a patient with many metastases, if you are able to induce this uh, a phenomenon that it's called abscopal effect because it means that act in a in a distant in a distant way. Then you will have the shrinkage not only of the primary tumor but also the metastases that are out of the radiation uh, irradiation field. Yeah. Now, Walter, you're primarily a radiation uh, radiobiologist, correct? Right. Um, are you a clinician as well? No. So do you, when working on these type of projects, do you have to go hand in hand with clinicians? Do you have to like collaborate with other fields of medicine in order to um, detect and run these types of studies? Well, as radiobiologists, a radiobiologist to collaborate with uh, a lot of other uh, figures, let's say, with a lot of other scientific background is important. As radiobiologists, of course, you need to know uh, a bit of physics. This is important because you need to know about radiation. Uh, it's very important, I think th this uh, always in science, it's very important that you keep the contact with the clinician because we are radiobiologists, we work in a lab, but what we do in the lab, it's very nice if it can be uh, somehow useful for, for clinician because otherwise it's just something that we keep in the lab. So I do not work uh, very strict with uh, with the medical doctor and so on. But of course, yes, I try to have time to time discussion with them. I try to understand what's going on. How can I help them somehow? And uh, absolutely, I think it's uh, it's something uh, necessary and uh, very important. Yes. Yeah, it sounds like this process is very complex and it uh, involves physicists and clinicians and of course radiobiologists like yourself. Do you work with a team? Do they help you put this stuff together? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this in science, I think it's absolutely, is absolutely important. Um, in uh, every, let's say, th there, is, there is a core of person that uh, help for, for each experiment, but then there are some persons that are more concentrated in one project, uh, other persons that are concentrated in other projects. As I say, for example, for this uh, hibernation project, uh, I would say the most important person absolutely is Matteo Cerri, that of course is a leader in this, uh, in this field, but there are other, other persons too that I would like to mention. There is, for example, Matteo Negrini, that is uh, the national coordinator uh, of this project in Italy, Valentina Marchesano, that is an important person uh, for um, all the molecular uh, biology experiment. 
Alexander Helm, um, uh, of course Marco Durante, that is uh, the director now of uh, biophysics at, uh, at the GSI, and is my mentor since uh, uh, since uh, since many years, and. Um, there are yeah there are many persons now I, I wouldn't like to forget some some name but there are absolutely many persons involved in this for example a, a very important person for the radioimmunotherapy part is uh, uh, Takashi Shimokawa that is uh, is a doctor at the NIRS National Institute of Radiological Science and he absolutely is one of the expert of uh, of uh, radioimmunotherapy is very a uh, very uh, precious collaborator um, for us. Uh, Alessandra Bisio is another uh, collaborator that helps us a lot. And um, uh, stop it! That sounds like no, because you give me this opportunity is nice, but now I'm I'm scared that I forget. Oh, some. Uh, you mentioned quite a few people. Um, yeah, I don't Mateo, know. If, Valentino. Um, yeah. Well, it's nice to present. I don't want to do a list because otherwise it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to try to 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 put on the name inside. Well, uh, here, let me help you out here. It's uh, working with the team. It's really an honor. And sometimes, I mean, it's hard to just list every single person. But if you could give a shout out to your team, what would you say? I don't know. Well, first of all, I would say they are not my team. Let's say they are collaborators. So we work together. So. Uh, but uh, of course, I mean, I, I would say that the, the 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 group of Bologna, the group of Matteo Matteo Cherry is absolutely important for the hibernation. The group of uh, Takashi Shimokawa in Japan uh, is very important for the radioimmunotherapy for the radioimmunotherapy project. So it's uh, in science. I think it's very it's very important to have collaborations. It's very important to can uh, to can explore also the other the other how the other lab works and uh, absolutely it's necessary to have uh, a person that can help you with different competencies. Uh, for example, as I say, it's very important also the, the the physical part and then for the physical part, of course, Francesco Tommasino, uh, Emanuele Schifoni are very important. Um, Having worked all around the world with these various different people, some people from Europe, some people from yeah. Japan, India, America, being all over the place, Walter, yeah. um, are there differences in the way that, you know, countries are trying to cure cancer or has the science unified us all that we're kind of pushing in the same direction? I think it's somehow unified because, uh, especially thanks to all this uh, kind of meeting that we do, like the Radiation Research Society, where we can meet all together, uh, it now starts to be, let's say, unified somehow. But of course, there are differences in the in the in the background, in the cultural background between the the different the different. Uh, uh, between Japanese, American, uh, and uh, European, and so on. So there are some differences that, of course, make science even greater. I would say because the differences are something that we need. Uh, differences are important for for developing new ideas, new new projects. So I think it's very important that there are small differences, but of course that science work together and uh, to to to. To try to reach, let's say, the same, the same goal, the same, the same aim. What is your hope?
for the future of radiation biology? My hope for the future of radiation biology? Well, I would say that the future is to find, uh, to reach the point that radiation, uh, radiation therapy become a very simple method where everybody that needs it can, uh, can use it in a very simple way and can finally treat, uh, treat cancer and uh, finally can solve, let's say, this uh, uh, huge problem that we have. I mean, the, the, the cancer mortality is still very high. There are different ways to, uh, to cure cancer. There are different ways. Radiotherapy is, of course, the less invasive one. So it would be very nice if we can reach the point to use radiotherapy and to have, let's say, the 100% of uh, uh, possibility to save, to save a life. It's not like that, like this, but let's say this is my, my hope. That would be a good hope. Be a nice place to live, for sure. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about, my friend? Uh, uh, no, I would say. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. Hey. We want to thank you for joining us on the Radiation Research Podcast today. Again, Walter, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast, brought to you by the Radiation Research Society, a nonprofit organization. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Radiation Research Society or any of its officials. The Radiation Research Society, a nonprofit organization, was founded for the advancement of the radiation sciences, the primary fields of chemistry, biology, physics, medicine, and epidemiology come together for this purpose. The sole intent of these podcasts is to share knowledge and the latest scientific advancements from the radiation research community. To learn more about the Radiation Research Society or to access additional social media content, head over to radres.org. Subscribe today to the Radiation Research Society podcast series. Don't miss an episode.